You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are going to be a lot of great things going on this summer at Collective, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Baltimore Ravens fans, you better enjoy every second of this because I guarantee you this is not going to happen ever again. Normally, I hate on the Ravens all day, every day, but not today. We are about ready to get hype this morning. Let's go. Guys, we record this stuff. That's going to exist forever. <laughs> I tried to convince Pastor Michael to give me some fire in the background too, but he was like, uh, have you seen your dancing? You're the car crash we all need. We want to look away, but we just can't. <laughs> now, if you're embarrassed by that, just imagine how my daughters are going to feel a few years when they see that or how my wife, my love story right here, probably feels right now. But I've never been to a Baltimore Ravens game before. And yes, I do love to hate on the Ravens and the NF smell you later in general. But this is one of the all-time greats. Like this is Mr. Raven himself, Ray Lewis. This is classic. Pump up the crowd. Everybody goes crazy. They lose their minds. Like this is motivation at its finest. If you're not ready to run through a brick wall after watching that, you're probably just like me. And if you were here last week, you know that we are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable in this series. And we are going to challenge you to be all in. However, we are not going to Ray Lewis you. You will never see those dance moves again. We're not going to motivate you into a decision today. In fact, we're asking nothing of you today. That comes later in the series, but this isn't a super hyper play on your emotion type of series. In fact, one of the things that gets me hottest, the fastest as a parent, is when other people, not the two of us, other people outside of our family try to emotionally manipulate our kids. Do I need to go get your sister so she can teach you how you're supposed to behave? Oh, come on, just take a picture with me. You never take a picture with me. Do you even love me? It gets me madder than a hornet's nest. It drives me crazy, and I bet it drives you crazy, too. Want proof? What's coming to mind right now? There's a sad dog out there that needs you and you abandoned that dog are we good like i can let it keep going are we good we got it all right in the back we're good cut that off please 
Now, the real question that we have to ask is, why would anybody want a dog in the first place? We don't have time to talk about that. Let's move on. But we don't like suffering through that, so I'm not going to do that to you this morning. This series is not about creating emotional moments that lead to temporary decisions. Now, full disclosure, in this series, we are going to share stories. We're going to celebrate baptism. We're going to celebrate life change for Jesus. And yes, that can be emotional and pull on your heartstrings, but the intended purpose is to celebrate what's happening in our church and in our community and then for all of us to take our own bold step as well. So if we're not going to motivate you this morning, instead, we're going to talk about consistency and persistence and how this can lead to you being all in in your faith. And isn't it ironic that we opened with the ravens? They are the model of consistency and persistence. In the regular season, then the playoffs roll around. They're just a model of frustration and disappointment. Come on, there it is. You knew it was coming at some point. There you go. Now, last week, Pastor Michael took us through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he read a few verses for us there. And what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to follow immediately with what comes next, verses 24 through 27. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So race to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others... I myself might be disqualified. Now, first of all, to connect with last week, Pastor Michael walked us through the verses that came just before, and our author, Paul, is talking about how hard he works to share the good news of Jesus with everybody that he comes into contact with. And then he immediately starts talking about what we just read, discipline. He knows in order to achieve his goal or To be all in, he needs discipline in his life, which is going to give him consistency and persistence. And Paul had every reason to walk away from this Jesus thing and take it easy. Now, first of all, he was bitten by a snake. I don't know if you know anything about snakes. I don't like snakes. They freak me out. I find one in the backyard. We're just going to sell the house. I don't need the stuff. We're just gone. Snakes freak me out. And here's a very small glimpse as to why. These are newspaper headlines that we're about to check out about snakes. Check out our first one. More than 90 of them living under your house. The article, the headline doesn't tell you that they're all poisonous. They're rattlesnakes, and most of them are babies, which can't control their venom, so they inject more venom into you, so you surely are dead. It's like, yeah, 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 that's outside the house. That's one thing. Okay, let's move a little bit closer here. Check out our next one this morning. We have snakes. I read the article, and she's like, yeah, it was a little piece of cloth on the floor. And I pick it up, and it starts moving. And it's like, no, it's not a cloth, honey. It's a snake, and there's a bunch of them in your bed. This last one, however, this last one is my favorite. Check this out. 
This is right down the road in Montgomery County. First of all, the house is valued at $1 million, burns the whole thing to the ground. And then after the firefighters put out the fire, you know what slithers out of the foundation of the house? The snake. He doesn't even succeed. I don't like snakes. That's why Paul was bitten by one. He also went to prison. He was beat up and he was shipwrecked. But Paul never checked out. He knows a thing or two about consistency and persistence. And Paul realized that he can't solely rely on feelings and motivation because this doesn't last. And we know that this doesn't last. Now, I'm going to talk about running because running is my thing. But think about your thing. Maybe it's the gym or your job or some type of creative expression. Think about your thing. I've been a runner since I was a kid, and last month I completed my 13th marathon, and 13 marathons totals up to about 350 miles, which gets you from here to the coast in Rhode Island, but what I don't want you to know that I don't like to admit, if I'm being honest, in my relationship with running, I feel lazy and like I'm wasting a unique gift God has given to me. And I feel shame in my running relationship. When I was in my 20s and I was either in school or working, I had all kinds of time. And so I ran all the time. I was even such a big nerd that I belonged to a running club. Yes, they exist. I loved every single minute of it. It's like, hey, CT, we're running 15 miles today. You want to come? Sure. That sounds great. And it was. But over the last few years, as time constraints have gotten tighter and life has gotten busier, I find that in the narrow windows that I have, instead of choosing to go out and run, I choose not to. And so I rely more and more on motivation to try to lace up my shoes and get out the door. But it's a trap that doesn't work because here's just a brief list of all the times when I don't feel like running. When it's below 55 degrees outside, I am a winter wimp through and through. I'm the first person to admit it. I don't like the cold. I don't like it between November and February when it gets dark at around 5 o'clock. I don't feel like running when I don't get enough sleep. When I come home from work and I'm in my work clothes and I don't want to have to change clothes in order to run and take a shower and change clothes again. Or when I feel guilty about taking time away from my family. So I do maybe what you do. Try to listen to music to pump me up or watch some motivational videos on YouTube. And in the past few years, I've had a more intimate relationship with motivation than I care to admit. And this is what I've learned in that relationship. Motivation is an abusive relationship that always leaves you wanting more and makes you feel like it's your fault. If abuse has caused you trauma in your life, past or present, I am not making light of your situation. I hope that you find healing, but my story, my perspective tells me that when I rely on motivation, it's exactly that. I always want more. I feel like it's my fault. Because if you depend solely on motivational moments, you will never be all in. If you are screenshotting or taking notes, write this down. If you depend on solely on motivational moments, you will never be all in. This is why we're not going to try to motivate you into a decision in this series. It's also why you can't say, well, I'll come to church next week because I feel like it. 
me and my family, we're tired. We need a break. So we're not going to go to group this week. But next week when we feel better, we'll be back. Just one last time I'm going to give into that divisive habit I have. And then I'll feel like changing. Yeah, 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 giving, 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 I know, I know. But when I feel like we have a hold of our finances, then don't worry, God, then you're going to get yours. If you're anything like me, you're never going to 100% feel like it. I am about as bought in as it gets here. We moved here to help start this church. We both serve. In fact, our kids are disappointed when we tell them we're only going to one service instead of both of them. I preach from time to time. I'm an overseer here as well. And there's times when I'd rather just take it easy and sleep in a little bit. And so if we don't want to rely on motivation or our feelings, what practical steps can we take? Well, it comes straight from what we just read, run to win. Paul is telling us this, and some of us who don't like competition may be tempted to check out right now, but when we are living our life, especially if we are committed to Christ, run your race, live your life trying to do everything that you can to introduce people around you to Jesus. That is the race that we run to win. We don't just live life carelessly with no plan or no purpose. We give ourselves over to discipline through consistency and persistence. All too often in our relationship with Jesus, we have what author Eugene Peterson calls the tourist mindset. And he talks about this in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And we view God as this faraway destination that we go visit every once in a while once we have enough time to build up to get there. This could be how we read our Bible, how we talk to God, how we show up here, or even what we think about God at all. And Peterson will tell you it's not terribly difficult to get somebody initially interested, however, sustaining that interest that is terribly difficult. And there's a few reasons why. The first one is that we treat God like a genie or a lottery ticket. And this is both Christians and non-Christians. God, if you get me out of this jam, I will. If you can just give me that high one more time, then I'm ready. Hey, I got baptized. It might have been last year. It might have been when I was a baby, but I'm good. I got baptized so I can do things my own way now. Jim Collins is the author of a popular book, Good to Great, especially popular in business circles in America. And he addresses this idea of the genie or the winning lottery ticket in the follow-up to Good to Great called Turning the Flywheel. He's one of the best business researchers in America, and he says the key in business is not one single innovation or a plan. It's not a winning lottery ticket. Instead, it's painstakingly consistence, persistence, turning the flywheel to gain momentum to reach a major breakthrough. And all too often in life, in the business world and with our relationship with Jesus, we want the get-rich-quick mentality But God is not a one-time lottery ticket winner. Next, we don't want to put in the work. If I'm being honest, this is the one that I most personally identify with. Sometimes we are lazy. 
Elliot Kipchoge from Kenya was once upon a time not even a good enough runner to represent his country at the Olympics. Think Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school basketball team. And then Kipchoge started running marathons. And in 2013, he won the first marathon that he ran. And by one, I don't mean like he finished. I mean he beat every other single participant in the race. And from 2014 to 2020, a six-year span, he ran marathons all over the world, everywhere, including the Olympics, was beat only one time in that six-year span. He is the best because he puts in the time. And just for fun, I looked at his typical week of training and what that is like. And even as a runner, there is no way that I can do this. He runs every day, no breaks, all year long, over 100 miles every single week. And we're not asking you to do anything like that today. That would be crazy. But the question that we do need to ask ourselves is, does laziness keep me from being all in? Are you like me? You hit the snooze button a few too many times instead of reading your Bible in the morning. You live local, but you're checking us out online this morning because it's just easier that way. We've heard the conversation about baptism. We felt the nudge about baptism, but we keep kicking that can down the road. I like to say, if you don't create culture for yourself, it will create itself for you, and you may not like the results. You are ridiculously in control of your own decisions, so cultivate a culture of hard work rather than laziness. Next, we quit when we need to lean all in. The moment things get tricky or life becomes hard, the first thing we give up is what we have been given to God. We stop showing up here. We stop serving on teams. Maybe we stop giving. And nobody develops good disciplines in the midst of pain when life hurts. We all have our hurts. You have your hurts. I have mine. We all have wounds that life has given to us. And if you're anything like me, I don't experience good Jesus disciplines and I don't start good Jesus disciplines in the midst of my pain. And this is why doing that is so important. It's great when life is going well, but it's vital when life is not. Now let's transition and take a look again at those verses that we just read from Paul, our author. He says to run the race to get the prize, one with purpose and with discipline. And he knows the crowd that he is writing to. He's very well aware that in Corinth, every single year, they host an Olympic-style event. And the headline of that event is the running races. And those who win the race get a pine wreath placed on top of their head as a crown for a prize. Now, make fun of the prize if you want to. It's kind of justified, but this is a very big deal in their culture, and Paul knows this, and he says, run for an eternal prize, not one that fades away. And just to be clear, we teach on this, the prize is not heaven because of all the work we have done. No amount of work or service will ever earn us the prize of heaven. And the Bible is very clear about that. Our prize is that we get to go to heaven and other people join us in that when we do our good works. People you're sitting next to, 
the people you love so much, your friends, your coworkers, and yes, even strangers, get to go to heaven with us one day. 2 Timothy 4.8 further exemplifies this and talks about this idea of the prize and the crown. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. We see it with Timothy. We also see it with two other authors, James and Paul, this idea of the crown and the prize and how it applies for us, but others as well, when we do our good works. And after getting a bunch of head knowledge this morning, maybe you're like me and you're like, this sounds good and I'm in, like I'm sold and I go home and try it and for three days it's great, but... In my life, that's because I rely too much on motivation. Motivation starts a habit. Consistency and persistence keep that habit in place. And I read an article this week that states, success seldom comes without some type of major deal of effort. And oftentimes, the only difference between those who succeed and those who don't is the ability to keep going. Persistent people find ways to keep going despite major setbacks. When life dumps on you, persistent people keep locked in. And if you naturally have great persistence, good for you. I am jealous of that skill. I know that I need help. So what I've turned to lately is turning to systems in order to give me consistency and persistence. Systems allow me to not rely on my feelings or motivation to get the things done that I want to get done. As a professor, I have a fair amount of freedom in my days. And so this last semester, I knew I could teach my classes, go home, eat lunch with Rachel, take a 26-minute nap. Don't get me started on naps. I love them. I'll talk to you about them for way too long. 26-minute nap, go for a run, pick up the kids. And that was supposed to be the schedule. But I lacked motivation. A cold, gray February day doesn't make me want to go outside. So after getting frustrated and down on myself, the shame that I talked about earlier, I, was, I knew I was in need of a system change. So as soon as I walked in the door, the very first thing I did was go put on my running clothes. Didn't worry about lunch. Didn't say hi to Rachel first. I just went in my room and put on my running clothes, and that was my system change, which sounds very small, but small changes lead to big payoffs. And that one small change was enough to get me out the door. And as I've been preparing for this week, I'm embarrassed to have to admit to you there's another system change that needs to happen in my life. And I was reading the Bible with my wife. In fact, full honesty, I meant to bring my Bible with me to hold it up to kind of make this point more concrete, but I left it at home because that's how little I actually turn to my Bible at home. I do a terrible job of leading the charge of reading the Bible, going through devotions, and leading us in prayer. And my wife has told me that she wants this, and she respects and appreciates the rare times that this does happen. And I told you a few minutes ago, if you don't create culture, culture will create itself, and you may not like the results. 
And as I was preparing for this, I was looking at my own life, and I realized the culture I have created, after the kids go to bed, I grab my phone, I grab the remote, maybe sometimes a beer, I sit down on the couch. Now, am I doing anything morally wrong or sinful? No, I am not. But I am communicating, checked out, checked out, checked out. And you already know what happens. I check ESPN on my phone. I turn on a baseball game. I watch HTV. I get tired, go upstairs, go to bed. One day turns into one week, turns into one year. And that is the system that I have passively created in my own life. And so if this sermon is for nobody other than me, that's okay. But I feel like I'm probably not alone. So I'm telling you, and you have freedom to ask me about this, the system change that I'm making in our nights, I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to set it down on the couch where I sit at nighttime. I either have to use it or actually move it out of the way. And that is a system change that I'm creating to be better for my relationship with God and my relationship with my wife. So I'm going to ask you What system change do you need to make in your life? Where do you need to put your Bible every day? Do you need to put your phone far away from you when you get home instead of right next to you all night long? What system change do you need to make? Now, you just took the first step by thinking about it, but don't stop there. Tell somebody, talk about it on your way home, because small changes lead to big differences in consistency and persistence. Now, let me close this morning by addressing the potential elephant in the room. Like, cool, today we talked about this dude who's so famous, he wrote a whole bunch of the Bible, Olympic athletes, and even you, Mr. Guest Preacher Man, you're one of the inside guys here. How about we talk about some regular, everyday people? Well, I'll be the first to tell you, I am exactly that. I'm a volunteer, like so many other volunteers here. And we may never live out our Olympic dreams, but that guy, Paul, who wrote so much of the Bible, including what we read today, he started out his Jesus journey by putting Christians in prison and approving of their murders. Today's message is for everyone. And as I was preparing, Rachel, she helped me prepare for this as well. And she sent me a few articles to read through. And she pointed out that persistency and consistence, by their very psychological definition, are not inherent traits. It doesn't matter who your mom or your dad are, your grandparents are, how they set you up for success or how they failed you in life. Because these traits that we're talking about today, they are not inherent to who you are. They are chosen by you. Anyone can foster a mindset to become persistent and consistent. Everyone can become like Paul and develop good Jesus disciplines. And it's these disciplines that lead to freedom, what our author Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. Anybody can be all in. Are you? Let's pray. God, we love you. And if I'm being honest, I am the first one that needs this message of consistency and persistence in my relationship with you.
But God, I said it earlier, I do feel like I am probably not alone in that. And there are steps that we can all take. So God, first of all, I pray that you reveal those steps to us in real and tangible ways. What does it look like to be bold for you? How can I be all in in my faith journey with you? And God, as we realize that and as we take this home and talk about that, I pray that we follow through with steps of obedience that move us closer to who you are. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.